Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. You know, for the past couple of weeks, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer. And the first two weeks were just fun and delightful and beautiful. The first clause of the Lord's Prayer is our Father who art in heaven. We talked about the Father, the Father heart of God. It's astonishing. The next one is give us this day our daily bread, which again is this incredible promise of God's uh, provision and how much he cares for us and how he'll provide And we don't have to worry about those things. Anxiety can melt away as we are taken care of by God, a God who loves us. And then we turn to the third week, which is this week, which is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, depending on how you say it or which translation you read. And this one's tough. This is about us needing forgiveness from God, but also being people who not just receive forgiveness from God, but extend it to others who have harmed and wronged us, sometimes in grievous ways. This is sensitive. This is painful. So to talk about this topic, which is emotionally laden and very difficult, I've asked Ben Pierce, um, Westgate Church's care pastor, to come in and talk about this. He has tons of experience helping people through the kinds of trauma where forgiveness seems not only unlikely, but impossible psychologically. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about if forgiveness actually lets people off the hook, if it actually does any good to the person forgiving, and also why Jesus commands it. So we're going to delve into that. It's a it's a fraught topic, and I can't think of anyone better to help us walk through it than Ben Pierce. So with that, let's dive right in. All right. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Well, are you ready for football season? I'm ready for football season. I'm always ready for football season. Well, you're you're from the South. Yeah. So you're from Mississippi. Absolutely. So are you going to be rooting for Ole Miss? We don't really consider that high school a college program. Oh, really? At Mississippi State, we just... Oh, uh, really? We don't sully ourselves with such things. <laughs> I didn't know the it's it's a it's the state versus the the school Mississippi State versus Ole Miss oh. and you can only like one. Of course, it's like Michigan yeah. Michigan State. That's the way or, it is. Yeah, there's a lot of schools like that. Yeah. Um, all right, so here, welcome to the Afterward. Here with uh, Ben Pierce. Ben, do you want to tell the people kind of what you do because uh, this is not your first time on the podcast. Correct. But um, some folks might not know who you are, so I'd love yeah, to. Yeah, so I'm the care pastor here, so I do a lot of high-touch pastoral stuff. When somebody needs to talk about what's going on in their soul, what's hurting, what's not working out right, or in relationships, I, I get paid to spend time with those folks, and I love doing it. Now, how did you... Have you always been... I know you've, you've done church plants. You've been part of big churches. You've been part of small churches. You've done mm-hmm. mission work. You yep. spent a, a large part of your formative years actually in Africa studying. Yep. So talk a little bit about like where you learned about care and and why that's important to you? I think just as I have gone on in life, and and honestly, after I had my, I had a bike accident, which uh, diminished the amount of hours I can play my A game every week. So when you say you had a bike accident, you don't mean you fell down and you scraped your elbow. This was a fairly, this is a catastrophic bike accident. Go through that. What happened? 
Yeah, so I was going 45 miles an hour down a hill on my bike, and a car pulled out in front of me at the last second, and I T-boned into the side and went up and over and landed on my head and uh, woke up in the ambulance with a broken neck and traumatic brain injury. But it was a big before and after moment for me. And after that, kind of as I if you think of like a cowboy looks down at his holster and looks at how many bullets are on his belt. Yeah. I had about half the number of bullets that I could fire each week. So I couldn't afford to just fire them randomly anymore. Yeah. And I had to say, there's a lot of things I'm able to do as a rel- relatively intelligent person, but there's a much shorter list of things I was made to do. I was put on this planet to do those things. And I realized running the organization of a church is an able to do, but soul doctoring with people, that's a made to do. I was put on this planet to do those wow. that, and that's... When did that passion start coming up in you? Um, because again, you've done you've done all sorts of big church, small church, church planning, uh, different continents. Yeah. Um, when did this kind of bubble up? Do you think? You know, I think it was always my passion, but I think I was too insecure to say that. I wanted to be omnicompetent at everything a pastor could ever do, and so I wanted to try and be good at all of it. But I just realized there's a lot of stuff I have to work twice as hard to be half as good. But this is this is where I can throw a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. Wow. Well, that's cool. Well, we're here because we're talking about, um, even as I was prepping for this message, it's a hard one. Mm-hmm. It's part of the Lord's Prayer. It's kind of the third clause. The first clause or part, part or portion is this, um, our Father. This yep. is the, who is the identity of God? Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a, it's, a, it's a way of seeing ourselves in relationship to God, who he is, who we are, etc. The next line, which we talked about last week, was give us this day our daily bread, which is about provision, and also God's character, yep. that he's the one who provides. But then that phrase, give us this day our daily bread, is a daily thing. It's a, it's not give us our annual bread. Yeah, It's his daily word. And then the third clause is forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, or sometimes forgive us our trespasses, um, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Or in Luke, it's translated as um, forgive us our sins, yep. as we forgive those who sin against us. It's the same idea. Yeah, things that we've done wrong, things that we failed, how we failed one another, how we failed ourselves, how we failed God. Um, one of the, in, in I think in the Luke passage, it's translated as hamartia. That's the, the missing the mark. But then there's also the sense of indebtedness. You're in the debt of somebody if you fail them. That forgiveness issue, I just like to park there because there's a couple different ways of looking at it. First, we need forgiveness from God, but I also want to focus on the fact that we need to forgive. That's the imperative. Mm -hmm. In fact, later on at the end of that passage, Jesus says, you have to forgive. And if you don't, your father won't forgive you. This is about as stark as Jesus is about any topic. It seems inviolable that forgiveness must be a part of of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So I just want to talk about that because you probably deal with a lot of folks who've gone through uh, particular amounts of trauma who they say, easy for you to say, Dave, easy for you to say, you have no idea what I've been through. And I don't, and I get that. So I want to talk about the first thing. There's a lot of folks I've encountered who say, I just could never forgive myself. So let's talk about the first one, that needing forgiveness from, from God. Yeah, that that's the first part. Have you heard people say, "I just could never forgive myself for what I've done," or have difficulty forgiving themselves? And what's going on underneath the surface there? Yeah. How how do we process that? Yeah, I have um, seen that many times, and 
it's a time when we kind of have to take counsel with ourselves or ask the Lord to take counsel with us. Because when I say I can't forgive myself, am I saying that my standards are higher than God's? And if, if God can forgive me, am I a, on higher moral ground than God? I mean, if the perfect one of the universe says uh, that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to forgive all sin, I don't want to insult him by saying, yeah, but mine. Hmm. He can, no, it's not. You're it's actually just, wrong, God. Because yeah. I'm kind of minimizing the how powerful the forgiveness, the forgiveness is that God offers. If I say, yeah, you're good enough to forgive most people, but you, you're, that blood's not strong enough for what I've done. And I just don't believe that. Do you think that folks are just um, struggling with sh- deep shame? Like they're saying, I'm having a hard time forgetting the shame I felt when I did this thing. And so that doesn't seem to be going away. So therefore, I must not be able to forgive myself. Is that kind of what folks are saying? I think so. You know, I, I think of Paul, because when he was Saul, he was there giving his blessing to the stoning of Stephen. Literally murdering. Literally part of the murder party. Yeah. And that wasn't the only time he, he was doing that. He was chasing believers around the Mediterranean world. And I think as he looked back, I think what happened for him is the grace of God got bigger and bigger. It's like, Lord, if you can forgive somebody like me who was killing your people, it it just, it, it amplified, it expanded how big the love of God was in his mind. It was, he didn't want to puff up the size of his former sin as if that's the thing that should get glory it was. It made his God's grace look so big to him. It's like, I, I just, when you say, what's so amazing about grace? I think Paul could have told you. He said that a man like me could have been the missionary that planted all these churches. I shouldn't be allowed within 10 miles of any church, and yet here I am planting them. You know, how great is the love of God? How great is the grace of God and the forgiveness that could make space for somebody like me? I mean, I think that's where the Lord wants us to take this. So, I think our our tendency to punish ourselves, to say, I'm going to cling to my shame, I'm going to hold it, it diminishes how big the love of God is. Now, I've got scars on my body that remind me, I've got this scar on my head that uh, reminds me, you know what, I could have been dead, I could have been a quadriplegic from that bike accident, but I don't look back at that and say anything except, thank you, Jesus. That scar reminds me that you've you preserved me. So if if there's a scar, so to speak, in my life, and there are many of them from things I wish I hadn't done or things I wish I had done, I, I hope that they take me to the same place that Paul's scars took him to say, my goodness, how behold the manner of love the Father has given unto us. I think there's also something, sometimes when I've talked to folks who say I have a difficult time forgiving myself, there's something really beautiful about that too, um, although misguided, and that is, I know what I've done is bad. Yeah. I know, and I I deserve some sort, I need to punish myself because I know I deserve it. Mm -hmm. I know that I need to, uh, there's a sense of that. How do you free people up from that self, 
um, pugilation, that self-condemnation, because, you know, there is no condemnation in Christ. How do you help people get there? Like, what, what are some things that have helped people break through? Because I guarantee somebody listening, either they're going through that, like they think about their past and that thing comes up that they did and it's still white hot with shame. Yeah. And there's a fear that maybe they haven't done enough to really yeah. show God how sorry they are or they haven't atoned for it themselves enough. How do we get out of that trap? Because that's a hamster wheel that we'll never get off of. No, you're absolutely right. Um, I think a couple of things. I know when I was in my mid-20s, I started to be aware of my own brokenness emotionally. You know, I grew up in an alcoholic home. And, and as they say, every family puts the fun back in dysfunctional, and mine was no exception. Um, and as I went to start meeting with a Christian therapist, I was doing it because I wanted to get stronger as a, as a future pastor and all of this and not have my own stuff contaminating how I could help other people grow. But what I found is after a few months of doing therapy, God started looking a whole lot nicer to me than he did before. I I thought it was just going to be my relationships with people that was going to get better. What I found is my relationship with God got better. Because what I began to realize is a lot of the things that I had assumed were true about God were basically just things that were true in the family I grew up in. In the world I grew up in, I had projected yeah, those barnacles. Yeah, you're just projecting them up. Them. Like yeah. God's just a really big version of one of us. Mm-hmm. And he's not just a really, he's wholly other. He, he doesn't, I don't get paid at, at my job unless I do the job first. God reverses that process. He says, Dave, I love you. This is my son, Dave, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, let's go live together. He doesn't pay you at the end of after we've done everything perfectly or made up for everything, he, he gives grace on the front. He front loads with love and grace and mercy. And I was just shocked that how much of what I assumed was true about God really was just stuff that I had experienced from other human beings and projected it onto yeah. him. And so counseling was one of those things that pulled the barnacles off I would also say just the the whole process of abiding in Christ over the years, I, I kind of feel like the love of God is like an onion. And every time I think I've finally gotten my arms around how big and profound the love of God is, I realize, you know what, there's another, I'm not within 100 miles of right. how profound it is. There's, there's 10 more layers of the onion that I haven't even gotten anywhere near yet. Can I read a scripture? Um, this, the reason I, I want to read this is I, it speaks to how necessary forgiveness is. I think that daily bread is necessary for life. Mm-hmm. And I think that forgiveness is necessary for life as much as bread and air is. Yep. And one of the psalmists writes this about God. He says, and I remember I was reading this in prep for the message. And I, this is going to sound silly. I was so arrested by it this time that like I started like, I was overwhelmed by mm-hmm. this. I was like literally in my room, like overwhelmed with this reality. The Lord is compassionate and grace gracious, the psalmist says. This is Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not repay us for our iniquity. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those 
who love and fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Yeah. I remember sitting at a concert when I was a 20-something. It was a Christian concert, and the speaker and author, Max Lucado, came out, and he said, your sins are this match. And he threw it like in this big bucket of water. He's like, that's your sins. They don't stand a chance, except this bucket is the Pacific Ocean. Mm. It was this beautiful, and I'll never forget that. Yeah. he's They don't stand a chance. Yeah. That's, you get into that kind of love. God's love is as big as the ocean. Yeah. Now we're getting somewhere, and maybe we can begin to realize this that God doesn't want us to carry these self-pugilistic, self-condemnatory kind of narratives in our head. No, because they don't allow us to become free, yeah. which is what he wants us to be. Absolutely. A, a very close friend of mine wound up divorced twice, and he did a talk to a group of people, and he, ha- he put on a backpack, huh. and he, he went through these differences. Okay, here's my first divorce, and he put a brick back in his backpack. Here's my second divorce, he put a brick. Here's the impact it had on my role as a dad to my son and in other instances in his life. And, and as he told his story, his backpack got so heavy, he could barely stand up. And he said, my experience with Jesus has been he unloads that backpack. And when I start putting new bricks in it, he encounters me again and says, get those bricks out of there. That's not for you. And I just find that I, I'm not sure it is always a one and done. Yeah. I may experience God's love and grace today and next week I'm beating myself up mercilessly. But the thing is I, I usually find myself back in God's presence and he said, Ben, you know I got better than that for you. I've I've already dealt with that. And he he helps me unload my backpack as many times as I need the help. The verse his mercies are new every morning. Yeah. I think that that's why it's right after daily bread. Hmm. I think Jesus is trying to remind us this is a daily receiving of accounts absolutely and we're at zero balance every day and that's and that's sometimes important for us to remember next question is a little trickier Mm -hmm. and that's the question is forgiveness cheap Mm -hmm. does forgiveness let people off the hook um i was thinking a lot about um the people that you you deal with and that we've dealt with pastorally who've been through trauma some of it extreme and terrible terrible trauma that should never have happened to any person and sometimes those people say, you ask me to forgive, but that feels like it's cheap. It's going to perpetuate abuse. It lets people feel better by giving them psychological closure, but not holding them accountable. Um, justice isn't done. Accountability isn't done. Yeah. Um, in fact, there was an article in the New York Times by Daniel Barron uh, right around the, I, the Me Too movement kind of thing. And she wrote an article called shall we forgive the men who assaulted us? Mm-hmm. And one commentator, there was a commenter that wrote back this this idea. And what it revealed to me is that our culture is actually pretty anti-forgiveness uh, right now. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a foreign notion. We're not, um, our culture just doesn't go to that. And one of the commentators wrote back to Daniel Barron's article, the notion that the victims of crime, oppression, and sexual assault must forgive their oppressors piles more oppression and harshness on the victim insisting that she forgive it plays into the sickness of patriarchal misogynistic male supremacist religions that blame women forgiveness is overrated it heals neither the body nor the mind let the criminal ask his gods if there be any for forgiveness instead of talking about victims who must forgive we should be talking about tattooing the words rapist or sexual predator on the foreheads of the criminals 
this would actually make things uh, safer for women and children. So I, that's, a, that's about as strong as I've seen it put. Yeah. But this idea that forgiveness is cheap and it actually is divorced from accountability, uh, justice, um, those kinds of things. Well, just how do you respond to that? If that person's in your office and they're hot and they say this to you, these teachings of Jesus make no sense to me. Your demands that I forgive, this very strong words of Jesus that I forgive, lest I, the Father not forgive me. How would you, how do you process that? How do you help somebody process that? How do you think about it as a Christian um, yeah. who also cares about these things like justice and accountability, um, legally <laughs> and ethically and morally? So how do you ta- how do you think about those things? One thing I think it's important when you're talking about forgiveness is I can forgive somebody and have a really strong boundary that they can't keep doing that behavior to me. Oh, what do you mean? So um, the husband is hitting the wife. Um, The wife still, spiritually, she does eventually need to get to a place where she can forgive him, but he can't keep hitting her. And so that might be a So place. the cops can be called. The cops can be called. Restraining, restraining orders can be placed. It Some, doesn't somebody, circumvent justice. No. It just says that I'm not going to let bitterness yeah. take and over. Yeah, and so when, when ongoing abusive behavior is happening, yeah, eventually I've got to get to a place of forgiveness so that I'm not, capt- I'm not captive, a captive of this evil thing that's been done, but I'm not going to let that continue to happen. So reconciliation may not happen, and I certainly may not trust the person until they show me that they're, yeah, they made a mistake. Like you said, that's, like, that's a different road. That's a different <laughs> that's road. That's a different thing. That's and they've different. got to come and play for yes, that. Yes, yes, That makes sense. And it also doesn't circumvent justice because the police can still be called, yep. and that person might go to jail. You could yep. forgive somebody that you've put in prison for doing something heinous. Yep. That, that you exactly. Can do, yeah, you can do that. Exactly. Uh, forgiveness is... Um, how do you define, how do you, what's your working definition of forgiveness? Steve says, you know, I no longer wish the person ill, but wish them the best um, under God's grace that they might, you know, encounter God in, in a rich and full way. What's your definition of, of forgiveness? I think I'm, I'm getting out of the judge's seat. I'm giving that seat back to God. If some kind of an accounting needs to be made, I'm going to let him do that. I trust him in the judge's seat a lot more than I trust me. Um, I'm going to kneel at the foot of the cross right next to them because I, you know, that, that article you, you mentioned where the worst things we've ever done should be tattooed across the forehead of rapist, racist, whatever. If that happens, then there's going to be some pretty naughty stuff on my forehead too, because I'm, I'm a jacked up rascal apart from Jesus. And, so I, to preserve the Lord's ability to to forgive me, I kind of got to kind of got to come to the table as He forgives others and participate in that too. Yeah, yeah. So I, when the when someone has really severely wronged us, I think the amount of time it takes to get to a place of real forgiveness is pretty much directly proportional to how badly we've been injured. So when someone has experienced betrayal in marriage or sexual abuse or what have you, it's quite similar to having, if you've got a deep cut somewhere on your body and you just sew that thing up, 
you're, you're locking all kinds of germs down in there. It's going to fester. It's going to get infected. Those things take time to heal. They have to heal from the bottom up. And it's the same. So when people have, I think sometimes we do a disservice to people when they've been gravely violated by saying, you just need to forgive right now. It's going to be a journey. They're going to have to work. Work it over time with God's help. I think the, the fallacy, though, in that uh, article that you were talking about, it's we're thinking we're letting that person go when we forgive. The reality is the person who's getting enslaved by unforgiveness is us. It becomes a pool of bitterness within us. It begins to shrivel us from the inside out. And, you know, that, that, that old saying that says if he who goes for revenge needs to dig two graves, one for the person they're going out to get and one for themselves. Um, you know, I, I've just seen it too many times when people, um, they've got a, uh, a grievance that, that is deserved in their mind. And, and I'm never going to forgive and I'm never going to forget and they're sucking on that sour thing for the rest of their days, and it, it, it infiltrates their whole heart and being. It, it's like they almost can wind up being like a human raisin yeah. who shriveled. And it doesn't just, in that bitterness, it doesn't just stay directed at the one person who hurt them. It starts to pervade their whole outlook on life. Even the people they love and around, it, yeah, around it, them. It, yeah, it affects a lot more than just that one relationship. Now, having said that, Steve has done amazing teaching on this, that there's three levels of things, and they are not the same. Forgiveness is the one the Bible commands. Forgiveness we have to do. Um, but having said that, I, I, the more severely we've been hurt, the longer it's going to take to get to a place of, really, of true forgiveness. But Steve says the next layer is reconciliation. And to get to a place of reconciliation, the person who's hurt us, they've got to come to the table. They've got to apologize. They've got to try and make amends. Um, so reconciliation... I, they're, I, they're different I, things. They're two different things. I may... As I read the Bible, I've got to forgive everybody. I can't be reconciled with everybody who's harmed me because right. some of them have done really harmful things to me. And when I... Meant, when I told them that this really hurt me, they're like, big deal, that's your problem. Right. Um, or they're dead. Or they're dead. Yeah, and there's no way to reconcile. Yeah, I can't be reconciled. So reconciliation is a two-way street. Forgiveness is a, is, is an internal deposition. It's, it's, yeah, and, it's, and, and it's a grace of God. Yeah. That it's, not, it, it's not human work to forgive somebody. Right. You're saying it's okay to take a long time to get there? It is. And, and I think if you've been gravely wounded... If you say you've forgiven them, but, you, but you've just sewed that wound closed when there's all kinds of germs down in the bottom of it, you really have, you, you may have done yourself a, a disservice to trying to do it fast rather than let it go deep and be real. Yeah. How have you seen people forgiving or forgiveness in general, this, this mandate of, of Jesus, how have you seen this actually heal people? Okay, I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, I wouldn't have believed it's true if I hadn't met the person. Okay. So I was in Rwanda leading a mission group, and we were staying at a guest house, and a woman was getting married who was on the staff. 
And she's like, hey, do you guys want to come to a Rwandan wedding? We're like, are you kidding? <laughs> you know, and so we said, but first tell us, how did you meet your fiance? She said, well, that's a long story. She said, in the genocide, uh, when 600,000 to a million, basically a sixth of the population were killed, um, she said, a man came into my home with a machete and killed my father. And she said, I was filled with rage and hatred and anger. And she said, so fast forward, the Lord came and convicted me and said, you've got to forgive, this is killing you. To, because you're becoming consumed by, and defined by this rage and this anger and this hatred. Shift the scene. The guy who killed her father, Jesus came to him as well and said, what you've done is evil, it's horrible, it's wrong. You've got to repent. You've got to come to me. You've got to confess your sins to me, and then you've got to go and tell this person, this is what I did. Long story short, this young woman was marrying the son of the man who had killed her father. She was a new creation in Christ. That man had been a new creation in Christ. And they were reconciled to a point where she asked the guy who had killed her father to be the one to walk her down the aisle because she didn't have anybody left. And he did it. And Whoa. I'm, I mean, that's... That like sounds like a superhero Marvel movie, but about forgiveness that couldn't, can't even be possible on this planet, but I've seen it. Um, I mean, that's extreme. But I do come down to, if, if it can happen in something that extreme and, and give freedom and new life to people, most of us, for many of us, the things we have to forgive are smaller than that. For some of us, it's not smaller, but I can tell you if that lady were here, if she made a day trip to California to talk to us, she'd say, I'm telling you, it is better to live a life of being a forgiver than to be consumed with revenge, hatred, anger, bitterness. It also strikes me that it is forgiveness that is hope. If you think about it, if you don't forgive, you're locking yourself and that person into that moment in the past where they did that evil thing with no possibility of ever escaping it or getting yeah. free. There's no way to, even if you were to somehow be forgiven, you couldn't ever get reconciliation because you're locked as evil. You are frozen in time in your iniquity, in your sin, in the thing you did. But if it's possible to be forgiven, then it's possible to be changed. To become a different person, for that yeah. old person to die. Because in forgiveness is death to self. It's repentance. God, forgive me. Help me not do that again. There's a repentance that that comes before the forgiveness of God. And then comes the washing and the cleansing, the new creation-ness. Yeah. And now comes the possibility of reconciliation with other people. It's, it's the only way forward. It's yeah. the only way forward for us as humans. Otherwise, we're, we're locked in the past with our sins, with no hope of ever changing, but Jesus makes that way possible because there is no sin he has not forgiven and there's no sin from which we cannot be cleansed. Yeah. That, yeah. It's astonishing. And yeah. it, if it can be practiced in a nation like Rwanda where there was tribal genocide to the tune of, what'd you say, 600,000 people? To a million. It's hard to tell. Yeah. Be, be, it's 
then th- that level of betrayal and violence and murder, then perhaps it can come to our homes and our lives. Yep. Um, man, that's really powerful. Uh, that's that's astonishing. It reminds me a little bit of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that Desmond Tutu yep. uh, ran with South Africa after apartheid. The racial violence was so intense that it was like we we don't need justice. We need reconciliation. Yeah. We need forgiveness. Uh, and the or we need reconciliation, and the only way to get that is forgiveness. And uh, those stories are are really powerful. The, the genocide really happened because people held on to bitterness for so long, and it's just like, okay, you really want to ride that train? Yeah. And that's where it, yeah it eventually got them to, and they they kind of realized, yeah, we can't do this anymore. Yeah. The only path the only path to sanity is forgiveness. Man. All right, so final thoughts for folks who are dealing with this issue. Maybe um, I think about two crosses. You know, I think about the cross of needing God to forgive them and then the cross of needing to forgive somebody who's grievously wronged them. Those are both difficult. And this verse commands both. It says that both are available and both are necessary. So any, any parting words for folks who are dealing with this? Yeah, I, I think the two go together. Um, it's kind of like when Santa Claus is climbing up the chimney, he's got to lift his right leg and then his left leg, or he's going to slide back down. So if I am trying to be real gracious to others, but am really brutal on myself, I probably am not going to succeed at that very long. And if I'm... Because really, we're integrated creatures. Yeah, we, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard to paint with two different paintbrushes. Um, I, I will say just as a first-person fairly skilled sinner myself. Um, in our marriage, um, my wife, she's, they say the world's divided into spewers and stuffers. Christy's more of a spewer. You'll know where she stands. I'm more of a stuffer, a conflict avoider. And that stuffing, 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 I wound, we wound up at, a, at about 18 years almost unable to go forward in our marriage because I had created inside of me what I call my lake of toxic sludge, where I had put all these things, my, my list of grievances, and it had accumulated. And I could go from zero to 60 at Christie in zero seconds flat because I had such, such, such this backlog. And we had to do a lot of work with a counselor, and I had to do a lot of work with Jesus of just confessing, hey, Jesus, I forgive Christy for this. I forgive for this. I forgive for this. I forgive for this. And I had, and then the next morning I would say, Jesus, I love this about Christy. I love that about Christy. I love this about Christy. And you, you read my journals, you can see the work it took to dig out from under my lake of toxic sludge um, and the benefit that came when I wasn't carrying that stuff around and my justified, righteous anger. It was none of the above. Um, but I can tell you that our marriage is a lot better when that's not when that's not given residence at the heart of it. That's powerful. Well, thanks for sharing that, you Ben, mean. and thanks for talking about this again. Critical stuff. If somebody needs some help, they need to talk to somebody. It might be um, they they f- might feel overwhelmed right now. How do they get in touch with you and your team? Because you've got uh, yeah. you've got all sorts of resources for folks. Yeah. Care at westgatechurch.org. That gets to us. Got so it. that's the easiest email to remember. Um, I uh, would be honored to help anybody who's struggling with this and can't seem to get out from under it. Um, I don't 
I don't have supernatural power to help them, but I know somebody who does. <laughs> That's phenomenal. So thanks again, Ben, for being here. Thanks for sharing your story and a little bit about what, um, how folks can get out from under this. And again, I think we need forgiveness as much as we need air. Jesus offers it, and um, we, we can offer it to others, not through our own strength, because I think it is supernaturally impossible. It's, it's not human work. But with God's help, with Jesus' help, with the Spirit's help, we can, we can be people who embody this forgiveness, who leave the door open for reconciliation, and who are healed and are being healed and have a community that gives and receives grace and forgiveness as freely as breath. So that's, I think the end goal for us to be the kind of people who not just get only get grace from God, but extend it to our brothers and sisters, because we, as right now, we all just mess up. So thanks so much for being here, Ben. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, man. Just want to say thanks to Ben Pierce for stopping by Ben. Uh, buddy, it's so great just to listen to you talk about God and about forgiveness. And i um, super grateful for the fact that you're on staff and that you hold the position you do in our church. You make us so much better. So thank you, Ben, for stopping by and joining us next week where we're going to be talking about the very next part of the Lord's Prayer and uh, the final week of the Lord's Prayer. So I'll see you then.